0: So several weeks ago, um, I found myself uh, just feeling kind of overwhelmed, kind of just like, it felt like so much was going on. I felt kind of stressed and I wasn't really sure why. I couldn't put my finger on any one thing as to what was going on in my life. It was shortly after, you know, we uh, re-started meeting again every week on Easter Sunday. And it was like, uh, so I found myself on like a Friday morning sitting down, just like going, okay, God, I need you to show me, like, why do I feel so overwhelmed right now? And I I just asked him, I said, Lord, would you show me? Would you show me? And I, you know, this doesn't happen all the time, but I just sat there in the silence and it was like very quickly a word just popped into my head and the word was disoriented. I went, okay, disoriented. You're telling me I feel disoriented? And then immediately after that, this memory, this picture popped into my mind and it was a memory of a cave, a very specific cave that I used to go in quite a bit. Do we have any folks that like caving? Any spelunkers in the room? I see one hand over here. The whole Clayton family apparently likes spelunking, you know, so like, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever been spelunking before, but there was a cave that I used to go in uh, fairly regularly as a part of a job that I had, and it was kind of random, another story for another time. And uh, But this cave, it's called Copperhead Cave. It's in the Ozark Mountains in Arkansas, and I saw this picture, as a very specific cave. Now this cave is pretty cool because you can hardly find it. You're hiking along a trail on this dry creek bed and you come across this hole in the ground. I have a picture of it so you can see that's the size of the hole in the ground. I don't know that guy, no idea who he is. (laughs) I found this on the internet because I don't have any pictures of the cave, but I promise you I've been there. And so you find this hole in the ground and you have to set up ropes and anchors and you put on a climbing harness and you rappel down into that hole about 30 feet down into this open cavern and it looks something like this. So you get underground and there's just this one beam of light shooting into this room. And unfortunately, that's the last bit of sunlight you're going to see for a long time. And so you start climbing into these tunnels and the majority of your time in the cave looks something like this. You're kind of trapped in on every side. You're, you're, you're limited which direction you can move, which, you, which way you can go. And, and this is kind of what it looks like. And so I've spent anywhere from two to three hours in that cave before, gone back about half a mile or so into it. And here's, here's what I learned about caving. You know, the, the image that God gave me was the, the image of coming out of the cave. And it's, it's a really unique feeling coming out of a cave like that. You See, when you're in a cave like that, you're very limited on how far you can see. Your visibility is limited. You can only see how far, however far your headlamp is able to see ahead of you. That's what you can see. If you turn your headlamp off, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. It's so dark. So you're limited in visibility. You're limited in mobility in direction of travel. You saw that picture. It's like, you can't go this way, you can't go this way. You can crawl this way or you can crawl backwards. That's pretty much your only options. You know, you're limited in mobility and you also have to move really slowly. You can't get in a rush. There's no level ground to run on. Now, what happens when you come out of the cave, it's a really interesting feeling because you get back and you climb up at Copperhead Cave. You climb up and you literally pop your head out of that hole. And the first thing that hits you is the light. Like your eyes just aren't used to it, and it's kind of disorienting because your eyes are trying to adjust to this sudden flood of sunlight that's taking over, and it's disorienting. Then you climb out, and now we're, we're for the last two hours, you haven't been able to even stretch your arms out beside you. Suddenly, you can move, and there's just mobility, and there's space, and it is this weird combination of being both liberating and disorienting. <laughs> It's so liberating and yet the liberation is so disorienting. And what I realized as the Lord showed me this picture about myself several weeks ago, is that it felt like I was coming out of the cave. It was like after Easter, I found myself being overwhelmed because for a year, I could only see so far into the future because I didn't know what the future was going to hold. For a year, I could only go to so many places and do so many things because everything was shut down. And then suddenly, suddenly everything starts opening and I find myself having so much on the calendar. I remember waking up one morning and suddenly, oh, I've got, I've got gatherings at the cannery every Sunday. I'm also leading an at-home gathering. And there's also birthday parties that are popping up. Oh, and Little League is open now, four nights a week, I'm at the baseball field. Oh, and people want to grab coffee oh and people want to grab lunch oh and there's weddings happening and it was like whoa so much stuff all of a sudden and what I found happened is that I started saying yes to just about everything because it was so liberating I said yes to everything just because I could and as a result I became disoriented overwhelmed and confused feeling like there wasn't enough space in my days has anybody else felt this Nobody else felt this. You know, I, what I want to talk about this morning is how, how do we reorient ourselves to life above ground without, in a way that doesn't have a face planting on the treadmill of life, how do we reorient ourselves? You know, and this is not going to be a sermon primarily about how do you schedule your day better or how do you manage your calendar better, it, it's, because guys, the ultimate threat here is not being stressed out. The ultimate threat is not being overwhelmed. The ultimate threat is not even burnout. Guys, the ultimate threat is that when we come back above ground, we will begin to orient our lives in such a way that we don't leave space for Jesus to speak to us, to lead us, to guide us in the day in and day out moments. The ultimate threat here is not stress or burnout. The ultimate threat is life without Jesus. That in our attempt to get reoriented, we would leave him out of the equation. Now, the truth is, I know that... Um, We all have different scenarios as we emerge from the cave, so to speak, the cave of a pandemic. You know, some of you, like me, will carelessly or accidentally say yes to so many things that you will accidentally eliminate the possibility of Jesus being able to speak into your life. That's where some of you are. Some of you are coming out of isolation for a year, and you're going, man, how do I busy myself enough so that I don't have to think about any of the junk that was bubbling up and haunting me when I was in isolation. And so you'll purposely fill your schedule. Some of you loved the isolation because you love the excuse not to have to be around people, but you use it as an excuse to, to you know, binge wash or to stream or to game or to gorge, whatever it was. You did not use it to draw nearer to Jesus and now you're coming out and you don't know how to do it anymore. And some of you actually really valued the time alone because you really loved the extra time with the Lord, and you're wondering, how can I keep that going now that everything seems to be picking up again? We're all in different spots. But no matter what what your scenario is, I believe there is an invitation to orient your life above ground with Jesus at the middle. And Jesus himself will talk about this so clearly and beautifully in John chapter 15. He's talking to his disciples in John 15 about what life looks like oriented around him at the middle. Even when he's not physically standing here with us, he's with them physically when he's saying these words, but he knows that he is about to die. He knows he's about to be crucified. He's gonna be buried. He's gonna resurrect. He knows he's gonna ascend to heaven to be at the Father's right hand. And he knows that they are going to lead the movement without him physically there beside them. And he's gonna go, guys, I want to show you how to do this and why it matters. And so John chapter 15, starting in verse four. Read with me. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. He says, abide in me, abide in me, as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. Get ready, you're gonna hear that word abide a lot. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not abide in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And such branches, they just get picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me, in my words, abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands, and I abide in his love. So Jesus here is laying out. He's going, hey, do you want to know the secret to a fruitful life, a life that is centered around him? He goes, guys, if you want a fruitful life, a life that is not overwhelmed, exhausted, burned out, and stressed out, he goes, if you want a fruitful life, the secret is to abide in Jesus. Now, to be clear, let's talk about what fruitfulness is, just so we're all on the same page. He, He is talking about both inward fruit and external fruit. In other words, he's going, hey, inwardly, if you want to be a person that is marked by love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness and self-discipline and power, if you want to be a person that is marked by those things in your life, he goes, that's the kind of fruit that I will help you to bear if you abide in me. He said, but it's not just internal fruit, it's also external fruit. If you want to be the type of person that helps other people come to know Jesus personally, if you want to be the type of person that helps other people find the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all that stuff in Christ, it will come as you abide in Jesus. He says, your fruitfulness is directly connected, internal and external, to abiding with me abiding with me? Now, we want to look at just a couple things. We want to go, one, what in the world does it mean to abide? And two, how do we do that? So just kind of a framework. What is abiding? And then how do we do it? And so let's start with with what is it? Four things I want to say about what it means to abide in Jesus. The first one is this. To abide in Jesus means that you are dependent on Jesus. You're dependent on Jesus. Your fruitfulness is dependent upon Jesus. Your abiding is dependent upon Jesus. In other words, guys, abiding begins and ends. It's it's Jesus. Look at verse four and five. He goes, look, he goes, abide in me as I abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. You must abide in the vine. He says, I'm the vine. You're the branch. If you want to be fruitful, abide in me. This this is not a talk about about trying harder. It's not like, hey, get your act together more, do more things, and then you'll be fruitful for Jesus. No, guys, our fruitfulness is entirely dependent upon Jesus. It is about trusting in the grace and the preceding work of what Jesus has already done for you and in you. It's completely dependent upon him. You know, I don't know if you've ever watched a branch grow, probably not, because that would take a really long time, but you know, the way that a branch grows is it always comes out of the vine, right? It's, the, the, the branch does not precede the trunk or the vine that it comes from. The vine is always there first, and the branch grows out naturally from that vine or that trunk, and Jesus goes, guys, I'm the vine. If you want to experience growth, fruitfulness, transformation in your life and in the lives of those around you, you've got to realize that it begins with me. We abide with Jesus. It starts with him. It's dependent upon him. Your connection with Jesus is dependent upon the work of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, and the life of Jesus. Jesus came to us. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He initiated it. He started it. And so abiding with him, number one, is dependent on Jesus. Number two, number two, abiding in Jesus is, means being connected to Jesus. It's about being connected to Jesus. Guys, this is the language of closeness, of intimacy, of friendship, when Jesus talks about abiding, he de- it doesn't sound like a chore or doesn't sound like this thing you have, you have to do. He's like, no, this is connection, friendship, intimacy. Listen to the language that he uses in verse nine. He says, hey, as, as I have loved you, abide in my love. Verse 12, he'll go, hey, love each other as I have loved you. In verse 14 of, of chapter 15, he'll say, hey, you are my friends. Jesus is using friendship language, intimacy language, connection language. Abiding is about being connected to Jesus. It is not performance for Jesus, but connection and closeness with Jesus. I, 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 wonder, I wonder how many of us do you know do you know that friendship with Jesus is on the table for you? Do you know that? He's not a myth. He's not an idea. He is a person. He is alive. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father and He longs for you to know Him. And He longs to know you and He longs to have friendship with you and connection with you. It's it's the heartbeat of His life, is to know you and for you to know Him, to know us, His people. This is what it means to abide. Now the reality is, it is challenging. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to actually connect on a deep level with somebody that you can actually see right in front of you? (laughs) Someone you can touch, you can hear them speaking to you like audibly all of the time, and it is still hard to connect with them? True connection, heart-to-heart, deep connection with other human beings, it can be a challenge to cultivate, and sometimes it is rare in our culture because honestly, in our culture, we are discipled more by distraction than we are by intentionality. I mean, think about the the amount of distractions that come in. If you you have a still moment or a down moment in your life, what's one of the first things that you do if you're anything like me? Sometimes I just habitually pick this thing up and go, man, what can I do to distract my mind from having to be still for a moment? But it's not even just in our still moments. Don't we do this like interpersonally? Like how often are you sitting in a conversation with somebody and something vibrates in your pocket or on your wrist or something blings or something goes off and you find yourself just immediately you will cut off the other person to look at what's on our screens, Guys, we've been discipled, so discipled by distraction that we'll go to restaurants with people that we love that are sitting right there with us, but we'll spend more time looking at the screen than we do looking at their faces. And if we do that with one another, don't you know it's gonna be challenging with Jesus who we can't physically see, who we can't audibly always hear when he's not sitting right there with us? We've been discipled by distraction. And Jesus is calling us into a life of intentionality so that we can abide in him. Guys, the truth is, the distracting pace of our lives is a huge threat to our connection and intimacy with Jesus. It's a huge It's dangerous for us to be so distracted. I think about Revelation chapter three, verse 20. So clearly Jesus says, hey, I, I stand at the door and knock. So what I love about Jesus. He says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Here's what you notice about Jesus. Here's how Jesus is different from the distractions of our culture. He'll knock on the door, but he will never kick it down and get in your face. He waits, and the one who hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in. The distractions in our culture are kicking down the door all the time, trying to get our attention. And Jesus is going, hey, I'm knocking. Will you hear me? Will you make place in your life to hear me and open the door to let me in? Abiding is cultivating a closeness, a connectedness with Jesus. And the question becomes, as we emerge above ground, will we guard the still places in our lives? Will we guard the earliest moments of our day or the last moments before our head hits the pillow or that long commute? Will we guard that space in order to make space for Jesus to speak to us? So you see, abiding, it is dependent upon Jesus. It is about being connected to Jesus. And the third thing, is about being obedient to Jesus third thing about abiding is it is about being obedient to Jesus. It is directly connected to our response to the teachings of Jesus, to the things that he says to us and has for us. In chapter 15, verse 7, he says, Abide in me and let my words abide in you. In other words, he's going, hey guys, you need to let my words live in your hearts. The words of Jesus should be living, abiding in our hearts. If we want to live in response to them, they've got to find their way in here first. Verse 10, he'll say, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. You know, over and over again, this shouldn't surprise us. Jesus will connect our closeness with him, our following him, our, obe- our, our, our loyalty to him. He'll connect that to our obedience. In Luke chapter six, verse 46 to 49, he says it this way. He says, he says why do you come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and yet you don't do any of the things I tell you? <laughs> he says, let me tell you what the person is like who comes to me, hears my words, and puts them into practice. He says, that person is like a wise builder who builds on a good foundation. He says, but the one who comes to me, hears my words, and then doesn't put them into practice is like the foolish builder who builds on a lousy foundation and the house gets knocked over by the storms of life. You see, abiding in Jesus, the fruitfulness of Jesus, it is connected to obedience to Jesus. So it is is about being dependent on Jesus. It is about being connected to Jesus. It is about being obedient to Jesus. And then the fourth one, I couldn't think of one word to capture this thought, so I made a really confusing phrase so that maybe it will stick in your head. The fourth one is this. It is about being continually constant. Continually constant. Continually constant with Jesus. It's this ongoing, constant, continuous thing. In other words, it's not just an hour of the day. It's not just 15 minutes of my morning or a moment in my week. Or I choose to connect. No, it is this continuous thing in your life. Here's the thing about branches. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. Branches don't like plug in for a minute and then disconnect to go do their branch life and then come back and plug back in later to get what they need from the tree. The moment a branch disconnects from the tree, from the vine, it is dead. It's dead. The life that feeds it is no longer there. A Abiding in Jesus is this continuous thing, moment by moment, hour by hour, every single day. But it's not just, it's not just that it's not an hour or a moment. It, it, the thing is that it's continuous in that it's also not just a season of life. It's not a phase that you go through. It's this persevering, enduring reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, We see this so clearly in the life of the Apostle Paul. I was just reading this this week and was so struck by this. You know, in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter He's sitting in a jail cell in Rome. And at this point in his life, this dude has planted churches all over Asia Minor. He's planted churches in Europe. Uh, This dude has shared the gospel with more people than most of us have ever met in our life. The dude has, he has given himself holy. He's seen Jesus face to face. He has poured himself out. He has gone through suffering. He has been beaten and stoned. He has seen people resurrect from the dead. He has seen people receive uh, their sight that were blind. He's been shipwrecked and watched an entire island be healed and come to know Jesus. I mean, you talk about a guy that has experienced the fullness of life with Jesus, we would go, man, this guy, he's, he's made it. He's abided, he's been fruitful, he's got it down. But listen to the words that he says in Philippians chapter three, starting in verse 10. He says, man, I want to know Christ. It's like, wait, Paul, surely you know him. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> like, Surely you know him already. He's like, no, oh, I wanna know him. He says, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings. It's like, Paul, you've already done that. He's like, I want to become like him even in his death and somehow attain resurrection from the dead. Listen to verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all of this or that I've already arrived at my goal. It's like, wait, Paul, isn't there a time in your life when you can push pause and just coast and just cruise? You've already done it all. You've done all the things. Just, Just coast up to the end, bro. He's like, no, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me." Guys, here's the reality. You cannot, you cannot exhaust the richness of the grace of Jesus. You cannot reach the end of His love. You cannot over-explore. There's no end. There's no end to His goodness, to His grace, to His love, to His mercy, to His riches, to His kindness. There is no end to the vast amount of His beauty and what He longs to show you, how much He longs for you to know Him. We will spend eternity exploring the riches of who Jesus Christ is, and we will never get tired of it or bored. We will never get exhausted of looking at the glorious face of Jesus. There's always More. No matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been walking with him, no matter how much you think you've plumbed the depths, he's like, hey, I've got more for you. I have more for you. See, abiding in Jesus is continuous, it's constant. It's not a moment of your day, a season of your life. It is the entirety of your life. You are in him, and it is dependent upon his goodness. It is about being connected to him in friendship, it is about being obedient to him, and it is on and on and on for the entirety of your life it never gets old. So this is the picture of abiding that Jesus gives us. He goes, hey, you want the fruitful life? Abide in me. Now, how do we do that? How do we do it? How do we abide? And what I'm about to share is is pretty basic. I'm going to give you some real practical things. And for some of you, I'm going to share some things that maybe you've never tried before, and I'm going to invite you to try it this week. For some of you, I'm going to be pointing you to something that you've You've done a lot and maybe you need to try a little more deeply. And for some of you, it's just going to be a reminder to keep going the things that you're already doing. But the truth is, if you want to experience the overflow of fruitfulness in every moment of your life, it starts with intentional time with Jesus, intentional time with him. The reality is we all want the spontaneous moments where Jesus just speaks in and says something to us or guides us in a conversation. We want that. But I'm just going to tell you, those spontaneous moments are the result of intentional time sown in your friendship with him, abiding in him. And so the very first thing, if you want to abide in Jesus, the very first thing is, number one, you have to prioritize it. You've got to prioritize time with Jesus. I know sometimes it sounds like we are a resounding gong. We're just like clanging that symbol over and over again. Guys, spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. But it's so crucial. If you want the fruitfulness of what he offers, you've got to prioritize time with him. But very practically, what this means, it means get Jesus on your schedule. If anybody wants to set up a meeting with you, a lunchtime with you, a hangout with you, a dinner party, whatever, you put it on your calendar. You prioritize it. And what I'm saying is if we want fruitfulness and friendship with Jesus, we need to do the same thing. Literally write it on your calendar, whether it's 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. or 10 p.m. or 12 noon, whatever it is, write it down to this is my time with Jesus. Now, this has looked very different at different times in my life, and it'll look different for you depending on what your circumstances are right now. I remember I had a season in my life where... Uh, Amy and I, my wife, we had been church planters in Canada. We were coming back to the States and we found ourselves by the grace of God with some time to just rest and to be. And we had like two months where we said, hey, how are we going to prioritize time with Jesus? And we said, I said, okay, Amy, uh, I want you to have a full day of uninterrupted time with Jesus. I'll take the kids for a full day. And from breakfast to dinner, she had that day once a week. And then the next day, she took the kids so I could have an entire time of just being with the Lord. And we knew that for this two-month period, it was amazing. For two months, I had a full day in my week, every week, where I just got to focus on Jesus. It was awesome. Now, the reality is, we moved to Nashville shortly after that. And I took a part-time job at Starbucks and I was taking the other part of my life, I was trying to help Onward, our church planting family, get off the ground with Dave and I was working 12-hour days. I was rising up early and driving from East Nashville down to Brentwood to work at a Starbucks and the only window of time that I had that was still was in my commute. And I remember those drives, I still remember them. I remember going, Lord, all I've got is this 25-minute time in the car with you. And so I prioritize my commute to Starbucks at 4.30 in the morning is going to be spent reflecting on and listening to the Lord speak. And so I would listen to the Word of God in my car. And then there was a certain part I remember as I was driving along, when I got to to where 100 Oaks is there in Thompson Lane on I-65, when I hit that moment, I turned off the Word and I turned on worship and I spent the rest of my drive worshiping the Lord. And that was my time. And so whatever season you're in, prioritize it and understand it may look different at different times in your life, but you've got to prioritize it. The second thing is you've got to plan it, plan it. Plan, what will you do? If you prioritize 30 minutes of your day in the morning, if you prioritize an hour of your day in the middle of the day, what are you gonna do in that time? If you don't plan it, guess what will happen? You'll sit down and you'll open the Word and then this thing will go off, your phone will vibrate, a bird will fly by the window, you know, you'll be like me, like I get so distracted by so many things. And if you don't have a plan for how you're going to use that time, you will get distracted, you will get derailed, and you will get discouraged. Distracted, derailed, discouraged. That's pretty good, man. I just made that up on the spot, and we're on a Devo about that or something. It's like, if you don't plan it, that's what will happen. That's what will happen. So, so here, here's what I mean by planning. I'm going to get really, really simple. Remember Jesus said, if my words abide in your heart, it means you've got to spend some time letting His Word get into your heart, and so make a plan. Hey, I've set aside 30 minutes. My plan is I'm going to read the Gospel of Matthew one chapter a day, and I'm going to read one Psalm. There's a plan. My goal is I'm gonna read the Gospel of John and one Psalm. I'm I'm gonna read through the the letters of Paul. Whatever it is, make a plan. Guys, there's no shortage of plans available. If you've got a smartphone, download Version. There's like 9,000 Bible reading plans on there that you just pick one and it will literally give you a checklist that you can read through. And every day, now that you've prioritized it, you know what you're going to do with that time. But I wanna encourage you as you open the Word, don't just blindly read. I'm gonna give you five questions that you can come to the Word of God with to be honored. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly, but they're going to be available on our blog as well, ethoschurch.org forward slash blog. And what I want to encourage you is every morning when you go to prioritize time with Jesus, that intentional time, open up the Word and take a minute just to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Even ask Him, will you give me one verse today that stands out to me? One phrase today that you want me to hear, Lord, just ask Him. And then as you read, let these questions be in your mind. We're gonna put these questions up on the screen. Again, I'm gonna go through them pretty quickly. First question, what does this passage tell me about God, Jesus, or his plan? Really basic, and don't overthink it. Like literally, if you're reading what we read today, what does this passage tell me about God, Jesus, or his plan? It tells me that Jesus wants me to spend time with him. He wants me to abide with him. It tells me that Jesus actually wants me to be fruitful. Keep it really simple. What does it tell me about God? about Jesus or his plan. Second question is this. What does this passage tell me about humanity? Does it tell me about the created image bearers of God Almighty? What am I learning about us as a race, as a people in our relationship to God? Number three, what does this passage say about me personally? What is it that the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to me here in this moment? It It might be something he's convicting you of. It might be a reminder to call a person and forgive them or to tell them you love them. It might be a reminder to pray for somebody. It might be a reminder to change some things in your life. It might be a reminder to be more devoted, whatever it is. Like, what does this passage say to me personally? Fourth question is this, what will I do to obey what Jesus is telling me? Guys, I, I can't emphasize this enough. Man, man. Jesus wants to invite you into a full life and he will often do it in your time with him in the word and in prayer. But if we read the word or we listen to him in prayer and then we do nothing with it, you will not see the fruit. Obedience is such a crucial step. So ask this question every time, what am I gonna do today to obey this thing that God is saying to me? And then the fifth question is really simple. Who am I gonna share this with? Such a cool step that when you allow yourself to not let this just be like a personal privatized faith with just you and Jesus, but you begin to understand, man, you've got this big family that wants to go through it with you and go, man, who am I gonna share this with? Or maybe it's a coworker that needs to hear the good news that you were reminded of in Jesus today. And they've never heard that Jesus wants friendship with them. And Jesus is going, I want you to tell this person in your family, at your work, at your school, I want you to tell them about the good news I've brought up in your life this morning. But ask the question, who do I need to share this with today? And I think if we come to the Word armed with these five questions and we're slow enough to really let them seep into our hearts, that, guys, this intentional time of abiding with Jesus will result in spontaneous overflow of fruitfulness in the entirety of our lives. And so we have to prioritize it. We have to plan it. it, it make a plan for the word, make a plan for prayer, make a, keep a journal of who you're praying for. Like guys, let's just be intentional with planning our time with the Lord. So we prioritize it, we plan it. And then the last thing is we just do it. Like just literally like do it. Don't just, don't just prioritize and plan. How many of you have ever written something down on your agenda? You're like, yeah, I'm, definitely going to go to the gym this week. I'm, I feel so good right now because I even just wrote it down. Like I got the plan to go. I'm going to work out. I am definitely going to run Thursday morning. I got it written down. I'm going to do it. And then the day comes and you don't do it. Like, I mean, we do that all the time, right? We make, we make good plans. We have good intentions. But guys, if you want to abide in Jesus, we've got to prioritize it and plan it. And then you've got to actually step into it. Having it written on your calendar won't bear a whole lot of fruit if you don't get the time with him. You know, it's a big difference in me carving out time for my wife, Amy. Like, she like, hey, I really want to talk to you about this thing. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll sit down and talk with you. If I sit down and talk with her, but my mind is constantly thinking about the thing I would rather be doing... <laughs> She can always see that. She's like, hey, where, where are you right now? Like, what are you actually thinking about? You'd rather be outside doing that thing, right? Yeah, you're right. I would just go do that, then come talk to me. It's like, when you do it, actually do it. Give yourself to the process. Give yourself to it. Allow yourself to be still and to be present with Jesus. Guys, I, I think the Lord has so much for us as we reorient our lives. Let's not allow ourselves to just get sucked into a rapid pace where we're disoriented and confused and we're not able to take time to be still before the Lord. Let's let him speak to us. Let's abide in Jesus and experience the fruitfulness that he has for us. And so this morning, we're actually going to practice this just a little bit over communion. You know, this is part of the way that we abide in Jesus every week. We come to him and we are reminded he is the vine, we are the branch and we're reminded that it all depends on him. He gave his life for us. He laid down his life so that we could have connection with him and with God the Father. So as we come into communion today, I want us to practice a couple of these questions. We're going to you're going to get the you're going to get these cups if you don't have communion, these are available out in the lobby. And as you come together, there's going to be a couple questions on the screen. It was the kind of the, I think it was the third and the fourth question of hey, what is this saying to me personally? And what am I going to do to obey it? So as you take communion with one another today, like go, man, what is John 15, this idea of abiding? What is it saying to me personally right now? And what am I going to do to obey what Jesus is telling me? and then to remind us that this is dependent upon Jesus. We will take the cup. We will peel off that little cellophane wrapper on the top and get that little wafer, and we will peel off the tinfoil, and we'll be reminded this is so much more than a wafer and a plastic cup. This is the body and the blood of Jesus, the one upon whom all of this depends, and we will take it together, and we will thank him. We will thank him for his graciousness and helping us to bear a fruit in our lives. So I'm gonna pray for us, I'm gonna invite you to turn to the people you're around. You can turn your chairs if you want to. Take communion. Take some time to reflect on these questions and to pray with one another. If, If you want someone to pray with you, we will have men and women available at the respond banner over here. We would love to pray for you, pray with you, to encourage you any way that we can. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you actually want friendship with us, connection with us, and intimacy with us. Would you lead us now, Lord, as, as, we, as we break bread, as we take the cup, Lord, as you remove all distractions, would you let your Holy Spirit speak to us about what you have for us personally and show us what you have for us to do out of this. We long to abide in you. We long to bear fruit for your glory, for the glory of our Father. And so you come fill us with your Spirit as we commune with one another, as we commune with you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.